ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕೋಕಾರಣ ತಮ್ಯಹಂ I recall that we had completed verse number 89 and now we are on verse number 90 well this is actually a landmark because all the teaching is completed by verse number 89 the teaching of advaita vedanta which shankaracharya was imparting is over so it you'll be like so are we free to leave now <laughs> now there uh, remains some important uh, issues to wrap up advaita vedanta teaches brahma satyam jagat mithya jeeva brahmai vanapara what does that mean brahman alone is real the world is an appearance appearance of brahman the world is an appearance and the individual being you or i we are none other than brahman so that's the central teaching how was that accomplished how, how do you come to this understanding in two stages as you'll probably be tired of hearing by now in two stages first of all what is our reality that we are brahman this is first understood by a process of separation right now we think we are this body mind system this is what we are that's what we feel when you ask who are you this one what is this me or i and that reminds me um saint peter in the gates of uh, heaven somebody knocks and saint peter says who is it and the reply comes it is i and saint peter goes oh great another english teacher <laughs> it's not it's me it's i <laughs> so who am i really what am i really is this body mind or something beyond this so the first stage in advaita vedanta is accomplished by the process of drigdrishya viveka panchakosha viveka avasthatraya viveka these are different processes the seer and the seen are different so therefore what you experience that's an object of your experience that's not you the basic principle of drigdrishya viveka the technique which we learned is um i experience the body just as i i experience the book experience the book means i see the book so the, i see the book and therefore i am not the book i must be something different from the book in the same way i experience the body too the body and all of its um, manifestations are experienced by me and therefore by the same logic it must be different from me from me the experiencing consciousness the body is an experienced object so is the mind a subtle object nevertheless but still different from me the experiencing or the witnessing consciousness or the way of um, if you take the approach of the five sheets of the human personality the body is a sheet annamaya kosha the vital sheet life forces within us that's also a sheet covering me 
The mind is a sheet covering me. The intellect is a sheet covering me. And beyond that, the darkness that lies that in deep sleep, that is also a sheet. All of these five, Annamaya, Pranamaya, Manomaya, uh, Vijnanamaya, Anandamaya, the five aspects of the human personality, each subtler than the earlier one, each more inward than the earlier one. All of them are separate from me. They are not me. We normally take these to be, this is who I am, but they are, they are not me. Because, same reason, they are experienced, they are objects. The simple reason that, of course, when we study them, we get many more reasons. They are changing and I'm unchanging. They are um, non-conscious, I'm sentient, they are objects, I am the witness thereof. So many reasons we have, we have seen. So by these methods, we come to an understanding that I am the consciousness apart from the body-mind complex. Earlier I thought I am the body-mind com complex with consciousness. Now I think I am the consciousness which experiences a body-mind complex, works through a body-mind complex. So Atma, Atma means the self, I or you. You are the Atma. Atma is consciousness and body-mind becomes Anatma. Simple Sanskrit, it means not Atma. Self is consciousness and body-mind is not consciousness. What about the world? Not consciousness, even right now, before we go into Vedanta. Right now the world is, is not the self. The table and the chair are not the self. The chair you sit on is not the self, but the problem is we think that the body which sits on the, self, uh, on, on the chair is the self. After the first stage of Vedanta, we think the body is also not the self. The consciousness which, which illumines this body-mind is the self. So this first stage is called Atma Anatma Viveka. The discrimination between the self and the not-self. Remember, not just intellectually. Actually, you feel it. You see, Vedanta can seem terribly intellectual. It is. But what we are doing is we're using the intellect as an instrument to come to a, to a very real understanding. Not just an argument. These are all Vedanta. The process of Vedanta, the method of Vedanta is it again and again gently points out to, the, to a fact which is an established fact already, which is already there. We're supposed to note it, to notice it. So that's the first stage. The first stage accomplishes, I am consciousness alone. Everything else is an object to consciousness. But that still leaves two kinds of realities. Me the consciousness, I the consciousness, and mind, body, universe, all not consciousness, not self. I am the self, Atma, everything else, not self. But there seems to be two kinds of realities. Self is one kind of reality. Not self is another kind of reality. Now comes the second stage of uh, Advaita, where we see the not self is not an independent reality. See, everything that you experience in this universe, the external universe, the body and the mind, all of that, note this very simple, interesting fact, all of that is experienced in you, the consciousness. Not an argument. Isn't it a fact? Where does your life take place? In your awareness. You will say, so? 
and the world is there and I'm aware of it. But, but that, that very statement, our common sense approach is the world is there and I'm aware of it. Right? The building was there and I came into it. But that very statement hides um, a contradiction. Two things exist separately. When can you say that? When you can experience them separately. So the um, clock and the book, they are separate entities. How do you know? I can show you the book without the clock. You can experience the book independently of the clock. And the clock also you can see independently of the book. And hence you can claim they are different entities. I can see them differently. But here is an interesting question. We never ask ourselves this question. All the things in our life, can you actually experience them apart from your awareness, your consciousness? You cannot. After all, what is experience? What is experience? Objectifying things in your consciousness. That's experience. Things which become objects to your consciousness, that is experience. So the very, very um, uh, term experience includes consciousness. You cannot have any experience apart from consciousness, but that just means everything in your life, everybody in your life, every event in your life was in your consciousness. It, you cannot have, you could not have experienced it apart from your consciousness. If you cannot experience it apart from your consciousness, you have no right to say that there is an independent world, there are independent people, there are independent events in my life apart from my consciousness or apart from I, the consciousness. It's logically you cannot assert that. If you could assert that, then you could assert anything. Right? All right. Which means... The not-self, this is the second st stage. Anatma, the not-self, is an appearance in the Atma. Are you with me so far? The not-self is an appearance in the self. And it is nothing other than the self. A very good example is the dream. When you dream... You are yourself there in your own dreams. You are a person in your own dream. And there are other persons. And there are non-living things. And there are events. There are things happening. There is a flow of time. All of that. When you wake up, what do you think? All of this was me, the dreamer. Right? When I, the person who was sleeping on the bed and dreaming, I alone became an, an entire world. In my dream awareness, these people were there, these events were there, even I was there as an individual in this whole dream. Exactly in the same way, Advaita Vedanta claims, right now that's what's happening. In you, the consciousness, the entire universe shines. The universe is not apart from you. It's not an independent reality apart from you. That's what's meant by Jagat Mithya. Mithya, false. Jagat, universe. Universe is false doesn't mean nothing exists. It means it's not apart from you. The universe is you. You are experiencing, consciousness is experiencing itself in all these names and forms. Thus is established the non-duality of the self. 
because the universe is not a second reality apart from you, it is non-dual. What is non-duality? Advaita. No second. No second. So there is no, no second reality called the universe apart from you, the self. Capital S. Universe is nothing apart from you. You are one with the universe. Or more technically correct, the universe is one with you. You uh, have no, you, you don't have to be one with the universe. You are consciousness. The universe to exist is one with you. The table, the lectern to exist has to be one with the wood. The ornament to exist has to be one with the gold. The gold can exist without the ornament. All right. That is what is called Advaitam non-duality. And that has been established in the, uh, by the end of verse 89. Now, what remains? Well, what remains is, we have understood this. Uh, hopefully we have followed what Shankara is trying to tell us, Shankaracharya. But we must realize it as a living truth. And for that, Shankara will give a um, 15-step course or 15-item course which will come, a course of meditation. Meditation on what? On what preceded? On the knowledge that we have gained so far. How to bear down on it? How to assimilate it? How to make it a living reality every moment of our lives? But before that, before giving the meditations, he takes up a philosophical issue. That issue is beginning in, in verse number 90. From 90 to 99, from verse number 90 to verse number 99, Shankaracharya takes up a, um, a philosophical issue, a technical issue about karma. The idea is this, that, um, or the, the theory is this, whatever we do generates karma. Remember, one thing needs to be made clear again and again. In non-duality, in Advaita, we always speak of two levels of truth. Paramarthika, the absolute truth. What is the absolute truth? Brahman alone exists. The world is an appearance and you are Brahman. Vavaharika. Vavaharika means a transactional truth. A relative truth. What's the relative truth? This. This world. As it appears to us. In this relative truth, there is the theory of karma which is something that Shankaracharya will comment upon now. Um, what is the theory of karma? Whatever we do generates uh, results. Actions have consequences in this relative world. Because you might say, what actions? Didn't you say that everything is just Brahman? Yes, in the ultimate reality. But back now to, to ground reality. In ground reality, uh, what, what appears to us right now, there is action. We are individual beings. We enjoy uh, pleasure and suffer pain. And these are produced by our past actions. That's the theory. So that's the theory of karma. Good action, moral action leads to merit. Merit leads to happiness. Good things happen to you. Immoral action, consciously done leads to demerit, and demerit leads to suffering. In Sanskrit, dharma leads to punya, punya to sukha. Adharma leads to papa, papa to dukkha. 
and this is the law of karma. Now, we have been in this universe beginninglessly. So we have a huge load of past karma upon us. This load of accumulated karma is called Sanchita karma, accumulated. Sanchita literally means accumulated. Accumulated karma. Good and bad. And a part of this karma keeps generating new bodies for us. So this body that we have right now has been generated by a part of our accumulated karma. So that, that part of the accumulated karma which generated this body is called Prarabdha Karma. Literally in Sanskrit if you translate, well begun. Which has begun to give results. Prarabdha. It is giving results. So whatever is happening to us in this life, the parents we have got, the society we are born into, this body we have got, our major life events, things which happen to us, the people we meet, the experiences we undergo, and uh, our indeed our lifespan, uh, the, the length of our this life in this body, all of that is determined by our prarabdha karma. As long as it lasts, we have this body. When the prarabdha karma for this body runs out, it's like the fuel, the body dies. And then we go on to the, the jiva, the individual soul goes on to other bodies. Remember, we are all speaking at the level not of absolute truth, which is Brahman alone, but at the level of individual beings and the world and so on. So, while experiencing prarabdha karma, the results of our prarabdha karma, we generate new karma because we do things, good and bad. And the new karma is called agami, to come. Agami means to come. And that's added on to our already huge load of accumulated karma, sanchita karma. So you never get free. It either is a little better or a little worse and it goes on and on and on. And freedom from the cycle of karma. So karma generates birth and death. So you have a cycle of birth and death, newer and newer bodies. It might sound like science fiction in this country. But it, was a common, it is a common belief in India. Everybody sort of, it's in the background, it's in the racial memory. Hindus, Buddhists, Jains, Sikhs, they all talk about many lives, and karma and so on. So, breaking free of this cycle and realizing your infinite nature as Brahman, that is the goal of spirituality. That's the goal of spirituality. So once you are enlightened, what happens? One of the nice, nicer side effects of enlightenment or side benefits of enlightenment is that all your sanchita karma is burnt up, destroyed. You see, they say that moksha, freedom, when you realize you are Brahman, what happens? You don't have to go through this endless cycle of births and deaths anymore. No more birth, no more death. Even the Buddha says, uh, the house of Maya is broken. Uh, no more birth, uh, neither birth nor death sh shall I undergo uh, after enlightenment. Then you, if you say that after enlightenment, no births and no deaths, you remain as Brahman or the, or the infinite, somebody will ask, wait a minute, what about the law of karma? Because you had this, this huge accumulated karma, what happens to it? So the answer is, it's destroyed. 
the moment you get enlightenment that I am Brahman, it's destroyed, it's burnt up. So karma is burnt up. What about the karma accumulated in this life, Agami? That's also burnt up. But the crucial point which Shankara will take up here is, what about Prarabdha karma, the karma which generated this body? You see, the question is, if that's also burnt up, then how does the enlightened person continue in the body? Because we do see enlightened persons in the body. We see Ramakrishna after his enlightenment, he lives in the body, Vivekananda is in the body. And that's how he came to the United States. <laughs> um, whether it's Todapuri or Ramana Maharshi or, or any innumerable number of enlightened beings who are there even in this world today. So they clearly continue in the body. They don't drop dead when, um, when, when they become enlightened. So whether it is um, um, the Totapuri or Ramana Maharshi or, or, or say Yoda, <laughs> they're still in the body. Uh, how do they continue in the body if karma is wiped out? If prarabdha karma is the cause of this body, if that's also wiped out by enlightenment, then uh, how does this body continue? You should drop dead the moment you're enlightened. And then uh, enlightenment would be uh, one more way to suicide then. <laughs> it wouldn't be so attractive anymore. You can hear, today there were a lot of emergency vehicles just uh, outside 72nd. There was a big fire. Uh, across from the Dakota, the, the building across the Dakota caught fire. I think there were more than a hundred firefighters this morning, early this morning, yes. So you would have emergency vehicles pulling up to 71st Street, the Vedanta Society, one more enlightenment. <laughs> Another being carried out on a stretcher, it's gone because he's enlightened. No, you need not be scared, the body is going to continue. Enlightened beings continue in the body and it's good that they continue because then we have enlightened teachers to teach us. Otherwise, you see, the problem will be every teacher then is not enlightened. If enlightenment means death, that means then every teacher who is living is not enlightened. But that's not true, luckily. Enlightened beings continue in the body for some time. How do you explain that? And here is the point. Traditional Vedanta says that... Um, <laughs> All karma except prarabdha karma is wiped out by enlightenment. So prarabdha karma continues to give results and as a result the body continues. An enlightened being still continues to live his or her life in this body. As long as it was supposed to last, it will last. How do you explain that? They give examples, metaphors. You switch off the fan. If the fan was... Uh, rotating, you switch up the fan, even after you switch it off, it'll still rotate two and a half times before it stops or something like that. They give the example of a cart which is rolling down. If the axle is cut with an axe, the wheel will still rotate a few times before it falls on the ground. The potter's wheel, it's an ancient example. When the potter finishes his work and goes away, the wheel still rotates a few times. You know, on a wheel they shape a pot. So, another example they give is a, a good example, is the quiver full of arrows. A quiver full of arrows, then the bowman is shooting arrows, 
suddenly decides not to shoot, enlightened. So the quiver full of arrows is discarded, sanchita karma. The arrow in hand, agami karma, discarded. But the arrow he has just released, which is in flight, that will go on and strike the target. Until it reaches the target, it will go on. So that's a nice example. And so the, the idea is, prarabdha karma continues even after enlightenment. And so this body continues and the enlightened person will experience the results of that much karma in this body. Of course the person, enlightened person is not touched by it, knowing that he or she is Brahman. So it's a, like a movie show. And even after you realize the movie is a movie, the movie still keeps on playing until the, the film reel runs out. So like that. Now Shankara says, all this, all that is not wrong, it's kindergarten Vedanta. So it's very interesting. Nine verses he gives. Um, one reason he does this is, he elucidates the actual nature of enlightenment by saying this. Um, in the next nine verses, we, we are going to take a much deeper look at what is going on. 91. Karma janmantari yam yat. Karma janmantari. Oh, I'm making a mistake. I'm reading 92. I should read 90. Utpanne pyatma vigyane. Utpanne apyatma vigyane. Prarabdham naiva munchati. Prarabdham naiva munchati iti yatsruyate shastre iti yatsruyate shastre tannirakriyate dhuna tannirakriyate dhuna Utpanne api atma vigyana even after the enlightening knowledge arises atma vigyana the knowledge of the Atman, I am Brahman, I am infinite consciousness, even after that arises. Prarabdham still does not let go. Prarabdham naiva munchati. This is what the texts tell us. Most of the texts tell us this. Iti yat This is what you hear from the Vedantic texts. Tanira kriyate adhuna. Now that is going to be set aside. So that is quite startling because Shankaracharya is, is usually very faithful to the texts. Now he's actually seem, he seems to be going against what the texts say. The secret is the texts say this as an explanation to the ignorant. From the enlightened person's point of view, there is no prarabdha karma. What about sanchita karma? Of course not. No question. No agami karma, no sanchita karma, no accumulated karma, no karma to come and no karma right now also. From an enlightened person's point of view. That enlightened person's point of view is going to be given now. Ninety-one. How do you explain it then? Tattva jnana udaya durdhvam Tattva jnana udaya durdhvam Prarabdham naiva vidyate Prarabdham naiva vidyate Dehadi nama sattvattu 
ಸ್ವಪ್ನೋ ವಿಬೋಧತ ಯಸ್ವಪ್ನ ವಿಬೋಧತ when one becomes enlightened tattva gyana udayat upon the arising of enlightenment the, the knowledge of reality tattva gyana means the knowledge of reality what's the reality i am brahman what happens to prarabdha no prarabdha the prarabdha karma it's not there anymore no karma is there in fact including prarabdha karma how do you explain that because the first argument he'll give two arguments first argument what is the what does prarabdha karma do the prarabdha karma produces this body gives us this body but when i become enlightened when we become enlightened body is real or not it's not real the world is an appearance and this body which is a tiny part of this world of this universe it cannot be anything other than appearance it's also an appearance like in a dream when you wake up from a dream do you search for the explanation of what happened to my dream body i wake up oh i am here and on this bed i just wake up woke up now but what happened to my dream body do do you look for an explanation how was the dream body born and what happened to the dream body no what do you realize the first thing that you realize was oh it was all a dream whatever i saw was a dream and i myself the body which i had in the dream that was also part of the dream for an enlightened person his or her own body so even his or her is is, is the gender thing depends on the body uh, the self swami vivekananda used this phrase the sexless self whose father whose mother so the self is not a body and the body is an appearance in the self there is no real body to consider now the consequence is if there is no real body to con- uh, consider where is the question of prarabdha karma which produces the real uh, a body why would you even seek for an explanation of the body if the body is an appearance just as you do not seek for an explanation of a dream body he says yatha swapna just as a dream vibodhat after waking up you do not seek for an explanation of what happened in the dream because you realize it was a dream similarly you realize this body even while it is appearing an enlightened person realizes this body is an appearance the world is an appearance this body is also an appearance in that case there's no question of any prarabdha karma why what prarabdha karma when the body is not real at all from the enlightened person's point of view there is no real body because body is self or not self for an enlightened person for an enlightened person not self it is anatma not self and the not self is real or false false it's an appearance and hence if it's an appearance where is the question of prarabdha karma why why seek for an explanation what karma produced this it did not produce it question good question the question is aren't we using the absolute truth to explain a transactional situation good question aren't you uh, answering a vyavaharika question from the prar- uh, paramarthika standpoint yes and that's what we should do 
actually uh, because the vyavaharika question the transactional question is asked by whom for a person whom the transactional reality is the only reality for us it's an important question but now we are taking the point of view of the enlightened person what is the point of view of the enlightened person is it an absolute point of view or a transactional point of view an absolute point of view if you ask a, an enlightened person what's really real he'll say brahman do you have a body he'll say yes really no <laughs> enlightened person does not think that that, that he or she has a body does a body appear to you yes yes the body appears a life appears the movie is playing and the enlightened person will insist it's exactly the same for us we just don't get it we think this is real just right now you are brahman and the body is an appearance in brahman but we have no we just don't get it that we are brahman and this body is all that we think we are so from an enlightened person's point of view it's the absolute point of view that's what we are seeing in fact an absolute point of view from the absolute point of view there is no prarabdha karma but if you insist on the transactional point of view the relative point of view shankara will conclude at the end he will say yes from that point of view you can continue to hold on to the idea that prarabdha karma is there now so this is one argument argument for what there is no prarabdha karma what's the argument prarabdha karma gives rise to a body but the body itself is not real so prarabdha karma is not real for the enlightened person from the absolute standpoint next now he'll give one more reason yeah there's a question there yes Yes. Yes. Right. So there are two kinds of illusions. One is like a dream. Usually, it stops after you realize it's a it's a dream, or it stops and then you realize it's a dream. The rope snake. When you realize it's a rope, the snake disappears, which you saw by mistake. That snake disappears. But then there are other kinds of illusion too, like um, the blue color in the sky. You realize there is the sky is not blue. it's just a scattering of light you know when you read physics and optics and you realize it's just the color which is produced by the scattering of light in the in the sky um that's what that's why the sky looks blue after you realize it when you look up what do you see blue sky right um so there are numerous examples um in which uh, uh, for example a mirage it's it looks like water there first you think it's water when you go close to it it happened to swami vivekananda in in rajputana in the desert when he was walking he was thirsty and he saw water he went there and he saw it was a mirage there's no water there he started walking looked back and what does he see water this but he knows it's not water now it, the difference is earlier he thought it was water now he knows it looks like water he writes about this experience now he knows it looks like water but it is not water same way what about the world experience it will continue enlightenment does not erase experience 
Enlightenment shows you that the experience is an appearance in the consciousness. Yeah. So is this the, the way you were explaining before, uh, that this is dissolving the question rather than trying to solve the question, right? So once it's enlightened, yeah. enlightened individual, they don't have to solve the question of no pravadya karma, how did this body come about? And right. Dissolving the question itself. Yes, dissolving the question instead of solving the question, yes. That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> In fact, the great philosopher Wittgenstein used to say that the real purpose of philosophy is to dissolve the problems of philosophy, not to solve the problems. If you give a solution, there will be somebody else who will refute that and he will give an alternative solution and so on and so forth. Dissolve the question altogether. He used a phrase, show the fly the way out of the fly bottle. There's a bottle in which a fly is trapped. You have to show it out of that. So this is what it's done. Did, did I answer, answer your question? Yes. So the world appearance will continue. Look at it in a, in a deeper way. Our real nature is consciousness. The nature of consciousness is to shine forth. Consciousness automatically leads to experience. So consciousness will be experienced. There will be experience whenever you're, con you're conscious. You are consciousness, and hence you will experience things. Um, one Swami in the Himalayas said that jnana, knowledge, anubhav ko mitana gyan nahi hai. To wipe out experience is not enlightenment. To realize the true nature of experience is enlightenment. So experience continues. The enlightened person also experiences the world. The unenlightened person also experiences the world. The difference is the perspective. The unenlightened person's perspective is body, mind, limited creature, little creature, miserable creature, lost in the vastness of this universe. An enlightened person's perspective is, I am the consciousness in which the uni universes, not one universe, Universes are born and exist and disappear. You might say it sounds megalomaniacal. <coughs> it's megalomaniacal only when one person claims it. You see? But Vedanta says it's true of all of us. We just don't see it. There's a story of, about, um, I think, Swami Ramtirtha or um, who was it? One Swami, um, whose brother was locked up in a mental asylum. And uh, one day the Swami went to visit his brother, and his brother said to the Swami, Look, um, you say that you are God, and everybody worships you. I said I am God, and they locked me up. It's so unfair. And the Swami said, Well, brother, I say I am God and you are too and everybody else is too. But the difference is you are saying I am God, worship me. <laughs> That's megalomania. There was another question. Uh, yes. The question is, is it that we have to see through the illusion? That's true. It's right here. The thinnest of screens prevents this insight from, uh, I mean, blocks this insight from us. You have to penetrate. It's not a physical pen penetration through a screen. It's an insight. 
It's a breakthrough, clearly a breakthrough. But then you realize that here it is after all. Think about it. What you are seeing here, aren't you seeing it? You are aware, right? Right? You don't seem too confident. <laughs> That's the basic fact of our lives. We are sentient. One thing we cannot deny is that we are aware. What we are aware of, we can question. But that we are aware, nobody can question this. So you are aware. You are aware of all of this. Now, is this something apart from your awareness? Your awareness comes from there, from your brain and comes and shines upon it. Or all of this is experienced in your awareness. All of this is experienced in your awareness. What about the body? It's experienced in your awareness. What about your thoughts? Clearly in your awareness. Even your sense of individual existence in your awareness. What Vedanta says is the entire universe appears to you in your awareness and you are, it's not, a, not, not even in your awareness. You are that awareness. It's a fact right now. Vedanta insists it's a fact right now. It's very simple actually. Next, next argument. Another interesting argument to show that there is no prarabdha karma. Karma janmantari yam yat Karma janmantari yam yat Prarabdham itikirtitam Prarabdham itikirtitam Tattu janmantara bhavat Tattu janmantara bhavat Pungso naivasti karhichet. Pungso naivasti karhichet. This is really funny. It's very interesting. It's a wonderful insight into Advaita Vedanta. See, the, the story is we are all spiritual seekers and adventurers. And when we find our true nature, what happens? Oh, I have been undergoing so much suffering, life after life. And now it, the great game has come to an end. No more is birth for me, no more is death. I am free of, of the prison of Maya. This is the story. And Shankara says, Kindergarten Vedanta. There was a philosopher, Malkani, G.R. Malkani in India. He used to call it Vedanta for the dull. You mean, say, you mean to say this is not the story? Oh no. The story, the, the story is much grander than this. The idea that's given to us is we are undergoing a cycle of birth and death and it will come to an end. When I'm enlightened I will realize, oh I had so much suffering, I had so many births and deaths. Now I am free of it all. Hence there will be no future birth, no future death for me. And even the scriptures tend to speak in that way. Even the texts tend to speak in that way. But is that what happens? Actually, when you think about it, no. Upon enlightenment, do you know what, what one feels, what one sees? One sees that, let alone future births, I do not have any past births also. I was never born. I have never died. 
bodies were born and died they were appearances they were the movies which shown in my consciousness in in my, in my light all these stories took place even this particular birth i have not been born when you look at it from the point of view of brahman brahman one of the names of brahman is ajah the unborn the unborn we are the unborn we never came into uh, came into a, a particular body mind complex these all have appeared in our consciousness it's actually a very simple fact even right now the body mind appears in my consciousness what has happened is what is birth vedanta has a very interesting take on birth birth is identifying with a body identifying with a body is birth what is death disidentifying with a, bo- a body is death there is a body born and i think i am this baby i don't consciously think it in english or sanskrit or whatever it's instinctive it's instinctive that's the role of maya maya obscures the difference between the witness consciousness and the body mind when the difference between witness consciousness and body mind is obscured we see it as one package mind body consciousness here i am now i am this squalling baby and as the body grows and develops i am i am a child i am a teenager a young person a senior person and i'm going to die it's the body appearing in me the consciousness it is no substantial reality the substantial reality belongs to consciousness not to the body yes so my death belongs to appearing in my consciousness yes and in you the consciousness death means death of the body we normally think birth and death means birth of the body and death of the body vedanta says birth means identifying with the body appropriating to yourself a body i am this body then you are born death is oh this body is destroyed it's buried or burnt i can't be this body anymore that's death yes so my consciousness is one for everyone yes yes absolutely absolutely not my consciousness i the consciousness am one in every body mind shining through all these bodies and minds one consciousness and that one consciousness sees sees all these different experiences has all these different experiences within itself that's the grand story of vedanta the entire universe and your life and all lives they all shine in this one consciousness in the, in the consciousness they are not separate from this consciousness it is consciousness alone uh, yet yeah, let her finish yes so the so the different experiences the different experiences are different yes how how do you explain it you see how do you explain it aren't the bodies different right now you are each occupying a different chair so the bodies are different aren't the minds different your knowledge and his knowledge are different your memories and her memories are different your tendencies and her tendencies are different where are the tendencies in the mind so because of different bodies and minds the same consciousness appears to be different individuals undergoing different experiences right does that make sense it's the same light coming through the different colored glasses 
in, in, in a stained glass in the church. And when you are inside the church, the same sunlight appears in so many different colors to you. Why? Because of the filter through, through which it passes. Similarly, one consciousness shining upon and through many minds and many bodies appears to be different individuals. Yes, by itself consciousness does not see anything. Well, consciousness is seeing all of this. You see, look at the question you're using, by itself. Well, according to Advaita Vedanta, consciousness is always by itself. There is nothing other than consciousness. What you are thinking of is, oh, consciousness, body-mind. Apart from body-mind, what happens to consciousness? You're thinking like that. But these bodies and minds are also within consciousness. They are none other than projections of consciousness. Through Maya, right? So in consciousness, in, in, in itself, by itself, it just remains as you know, something a bit like pure light. But it also has the capacity of generating experiences of multiple universes, multiple lives. All of this is going on within consciousness, but not really going on. You say, really, really, what's going on? Nothing is going on, really. <laughs> You are perfectly alright. You are the infinite awareness as uh, perfect, eternally so. Even the language eternally so is, is a concession to time. You had a question. So, then why do we have the need Swami, to manufacture so many bodies? And could this manufacturing of body could go eternally? Right. It's a, that's a deep question. Why do we have the need, why does the consciousness have the need to manufacture so many bodies? Well, first of all, let me stop you right there. It manufactures nothing. Yeah. Advaita, as you're beginning to realize, is actually pretty easy. <laughs> you just go to the absolute standpoint, Brahman standpoint, and everything is explained. So actually nothing is manufactured. But then still there's the question of why all these experiences? From an enlightened person's point of view, the why doesn't exist. It's a delight. It's a delight. Universe, life, everything becomes a delight. Even sickness and deaths and all of that becomes a delight. You see? In a movie, for example, in reality, it would be a horror. In a movie, you give it an Oscar. Well done, you say bravo. <laughs> Encore, <laughs> once more, repeat. So, one answer is, it's a delight. Uh, the, it's, it's a delightful play of consciousness. The, the Sanskrit term for that is Leela. What's going on? It's my divine play. Only the enlightened person can say that. If you're not enlightened, you cannot honestly say it's, it's my divine play. It's, uh, it's life. We say it's life with its ups and downs and struggles and sufferings. The enlightened person sees it as a divine play. That's one answer. It's a poetic answer, a very beautiful answer. The other answer I have given earlier, you have to think about it. I'll give you a logical answer. What are you asking? When you say, why? Why these experiences? 
My first answer was, these experiences are not real. They are all, uh, all projections of consciousness. You can still persist in asking, all right, let them not be real. Let them all be like movies, dreams, whatever. But why movies? Why dreams? You can still ask that. Right? And Swami Vivekananda says the question itself is wrong. And he leaves it at that. I also used to think that, why is the question wrong? I can still, you know, like a nagging child, I can, we can still ask. It may seem wrong to Vivekananda, but we don't see so clearly. We, we keep asking, but why is the question wrong? I can still ask the question. And I came upon the answer. I'll share it with you. I've, I've said it earlier also, but I'll share it with you. It's a logical answer to the same question. A poetic answer, it's divine play. A logical answer, why all of these appearances, even if they are appearances, why? The logical answer is this. When you are asking why, what answer do you expect? You expect whenever we ask why, in the world, when you ask why, why is it wet outside? You'd say, because it rained. Why did it rain? Oh, there were clouds. Why are there clouds? Because of the evaporation of water. Why is this evaporation? Because of sunlight. So why? You are asking for a cause. You see an effect and you ask for a cause. That's the answer you are expecting. Right? Now look at what you are asking. You are asking, why is the one appearing as the many? Why is Brahman appearing as the universe? Right? The answer in Vedanta is because of Maya. You are asking, why Maya? You are asking for a cause. I gave you a cause, Maya. But now you are asking, why Maya? Here is why the question becomes wrong at this point. Because after all, what is Maya? Time, space, causation. Maya itself is time, space, causation. So, it's like asking, what, when did, uh, what was there before time, if you ask? The question is wrong because before and after are meaningful only after you accept time. What is there outside space, if you ask? The question itself is wrong because outside and inside are meaningful only when you accept space. What is the cause of causation? The question itself is wrong because you can ask for a cause, cause only when you have accepted causation itself. Within causation, you can happily ask why. But you cannot ask why of causation. Because why is a causation question. Do you see what I'm driving at? It's a logical answer. Now let me give you a psychological answer to that question. Psychological answer is this. I promise this will be the third, third and last one in the series of answers. So you have a poetic answer um, and, and you have a logical answer or logical non-answer, logical refusal to answer and a psychological answer which I found very appealing and I came across recently in the writings of one of these Himalayan Swamis. Um, well, not quite Himalayan, he was writing in Vrindavan. <laughs> a story just occurred to me, but it's not relevant. So this Swami, he writes, think about it this way. Your very nature is consciousness. Our very nature is pure consciousness. 
The nature of consciousness is to experience. It's like light. It will illumine. What's the nature of light? It just illumines. Prakasha in Sanskrit. It illumines. Now if consciousness, the nature of consciousness is to experience. And yet, the only thing that really exists is consciousness itself. The infinite itself. Consciousness, infinite consciousness itself. Experience is always trying to um, limit, to see something in a slice. That's what's called experience. If you try to experience the infinite, how will you experience it? You cannot experience the infinite in, 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 in one grasp, in, in one experience. You will experience it as, a fine, as the finite. It's cut up into pieces. It's like the example that Swami gave was very nice. A little boy looks up into the sky. The very nature of the eyes is to see. The very nature of the sky is to be unseen. The nature of the sky is to be unseen. You can't see the sky. The eyes will see. The sky cannot be seen. So when the little boy looks up at the sky, what does he see? He will see something because the eyes have to see something. He sees the sky as a surface, you know, like an upturned bowl. Like a, you know, like a blue surface. Or a night sky like a black surface with points of light in them. Which is false. The sky is not like an upturned bowl. It's a mistake. So when the infinite consciousness tries to experience itself, it experiences itself, uh, the infinite experiences itself as the finite. The pure subject experiences itself as an object. The unchanging experiences itself as the changing. The conscious experiences itself as the inert insentient. The pure bliss experiences itself as sukha dukkha, pleasure and pain. The non-dual experiences itself as the play of dualities. All of it false, not true, not real. But it's, it's, the, it's the very nature of consciousness. Very nice way of putting it. Consciousness will always, it's the very nature of experience. In fact, one of the definitions of Brahman, one of the definitions of Atman in Vedanta uh, literature is Anubhava Matram Param Brahma. Consciousness itself, experience itself is, is Brahman. Experience itself is Brahman. Experience itself, Anubhava Matram. That means from experience, if you drop the experiencer and the experienced object, then what remains? What ex pure experience in itself, what remains? Consciousness itself, exactly. Consciousness itself. That's the very nature of God. That's the psychological answer. It's a beautiful answer. If you meditate on that itself, it can lead you to the edge of, uh, edge of realization. Now, the answer to this, this, this verse, number 92. Karma janmantariyam yat prarabdham iti kirtitam. Question was, prarabdha karma. What is prarabdha karma? It's part of the karma which we have, we have accumulated in past births, right? 
But now after enlightenment, you realize I have never had any past births. You see, the, uh, the preliminary understanding of Vedanta is after enlightenment, I will realize I will never have future births. But I had many past births. But the deeper understanding of enlightenment, the deeper understanding of Advaita is, not only will I not have any future births, I have never had any past births. Consciousness never had any birth. Unborn. I have never had this present birth either. I have repeated that story of the Swami who went and asked another Swami, that, is there one birth or many births? And the answer was, neither one birth nor many births. If there is not even one birth, how can there be many births? Please read the Mandukya. <laughs> that was the advice given by one of the Swamis. So, since there is no past birth, no past birth at all, where is the question of karma generated in past births? And where is the question of prarabdha karma? This is the second argument given by Shankaracharya. What was the first one? When you realize that you are Brahman, the universe is falsified, it becomes an appearance. And this little body is also an appearance. If the body is an appearance, not real, then why ask for prarabdha karma which produces this body? Not real. The second argument, what is prarabdha karma? Karma produced in my past births. No past births, so no prarabdha karma. Two powerful arguments. Let's do just one more verse quickly. And then stop. 93. Swapna deho yatha dhyasta. Swapna deho yatha dhyasta. Tathevayam hidehaka. Tathevayam hidehaka. Adhyastasya kuto janma. Adhyastasya kuto janma. Janma bhave hitatkutaha. Janma we have come across this example. Just like the body which we have in a dream. In a dream we have a particular body. Really the dreamer is the real body is lying on, on the bed and dreaming. In the dream there is a body. That body is adhyasta, superimposed, imagined, not real. This body is also like that. Tatha eva ayam hi dehaka. This body is also like that. This body means, from an enlightened person's perspective, this physical body right now is also like that. Just as you do not inquire about the birth, where did the body in my, in my dream, I woke up, I know it's a dream, but the body in my dream, I wonder which hospital it was born in, and who were its parents. You don't ask such a question. It's a meaningless question. Why is it meaningless? Because it's an appearance. It's imagination. It's a dream. Exactly like that, this body is also an imagination. A dream. It's an appearance in consciousness. That, what's the difference? That was a dream. That was an imagination of the mind, the dreamer's mind. This is a projection of consciousness. In fact, the mind and the body and the dreams, they are also all... All of it is, they are projections of consciousness. All of them. Including this body. And hence you should not even ask, what is the origin of this body? Uh, what prarabdha karma produced this body? No, you should not ask. Two questions, wait, I'll come to you. Yes. Uh, so in that case of the 
Bhutan, the Krishna also, they will be saying, that after enlightenment, Buddha says, you know, uh, I know all the bodies I took, all yes. the works I took, but you don't know. And similarly, Krishna also tells Krishna you, says that, yes. So why, why is that contradiction? That's right. That's why uh, why Shankaracharya said, we read about these things in the texts. That's why it's so surprising. Krishna says so, and so many other great masters have said so. I had so many bodies in the past, I had so many births in the past. But now I'm enlightened and henceforth no more births. So Shankaracharya seems to be going against the texts. But what he's giving you is the absolute perspective, the enlightened person's perspective. If you actually ask the Buddha or Krishna, really, you had many bodies in the past? And the answer would be, let me on, I'll, give, I'll let you on to the secret. I had no bodies in the past, nor have I any body now, nor will I have any body in the future. It's all a place, all a play of my maya. Shankaracharya writes in the introduction to the Bhagavad Gita, Shankaracharya writes, it's saying that that Brahman, that infinite Brahman, as if born, as if taking a body as Krishna, as if born. Now, theistic religion will say, yeah, that's true for Krishna, for God, but we are born. Advaita says, it's, it's the same for, for all of us. We, none of us are really born. Bodies appear in the ocean of consciousness that you are. We mistakenly identify ourselves and limit ourselves and, and uh, bar ourselves in this prison of a body-mind and this is who we are and we suffer. One of the interesting uh, lines from the Briyadharnik Upanishad, what happens after enlightenment? What is the attitude of an enlightened person? Um... Atmanam ched vijaniyat ayam masmiti purushaha kimichan kasya kamaya shariram manusangjwaret. Beautiful. When you realize, I am this infinite being consciousness bliss, for what? Desiring what? Desiring what and for whose sake? Should I continue to suffer with the body? Body will continue to suffer. It will have illness, it will go old, it will die. But why should I identify myself with it anymore? I know I am the infinite screen on which this movie is playing. Why should I identify myself with the tragic hero of the movie? <laughs> I'll enjoy it. I'll enjoy the movie. Let it go on. But I am not that. Okay, we'll conclude with that question. You had a question in the back? Yes. Right, right. Krishna clearly says, O Arjuna, you have, I, I and you, we have had many births in the past. I remember them all, but you do not. So, isn't Shankara going against it? Apparently, yes. But he's giving us, he's letting us on to a great secret. That neither Krishna nor Arjuna, nor us, we were never born. And nor are we born right now, never died, nor are we going to die. We are that immortal, birthless, deathless consciousness. Think about, I, I have thought about it in a different way. 
Think about it in terms of justice and injustice. Look, there is terrible suffering in the world. You or I may not have suffered so much, but people do suffer a lot. Now, if enlightenment were to release you from that suffering, that's great. But what about the suffering that's already passed? We, we, have, we have undergone so much suffering. Yes, we get released from the suffering. But that does not erase the fact that people have helplessly suffered life after life. This enlightenment erases all of that. I think it makes sense. Otherwise the universe, this, this creation would be evil. There would be deep evil in this creation. Can't we say that we, re we will remember all the movies that we watch? In the Yoga Sutras, it does say. In the Yoga Sutras. So an explanation for what Krishna said and Buddha. In the uh, Yoga Sutra, it says, at the point of uh, enlightenment, the, in the last birth, yes. the Yoga Sutras clearly say, at the last birth, the yogi remembers all past incarnations. Yes. But do you, do you see the point I'm making about justice? If suffering is real, then there's no excuse for it. There's the universe is evil. There are people, you see, our own suffering we may forgive. The suffering of innocence, the suffering of animals, uh, of helpless creatures. Uh, Advaita seems to give you a release that yes, you will get enlightenment and then be released from suffering. But what about all the suffering that was in the past? So many lives and lives of suffering. That is not erased. But if, you, if this is the real nature of enlightenment, I am this infinite consciousness in which all this is experienced. I am not touched the least at, by any of it. In that case, there is justice, there is goodness. Okay, let's stop here. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu